Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. And let's start in that 17th verse, the 17th verse of Ephesians chapter 4, and it reads like this. This I say, therefore, and testify unto the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, but you have not so learned Christ, it says, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, this morning my heart has been blessed to overflowing by the presence of your Holy Spirit in our midst, by the smiles on the faces of your blessed children as they come into this place with one thought on their mind, and that is the worship of you. So now I ask this, that you take all those things that are running through our mind and you set those aside. You help us to focus our attention solely upon you. For the most important thing we can ever do when we are together is to listen to your still small voice. So this morning I ask for myself that you make very little of me and very much of you. That we may hear that voice speak to our heart today. And all this we ask in the word, your precious son Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you remember, we've been in the book of Ephesians for a year and a half, almost two years now. We've been in chapter four of the book of Ephesians for starting the ninth month. We've made it all the way to the 16th through the 16th verse. We're really getting steam picked up behind it now. We step into the 17th verse here and and something really came to me as I was studying this this week. As a matter of fact, I was telling someone this morning that I've started coming up to the church on Saturdays, a quiet place to put together the thoughts and, and all that I study all week long, and I had page after page after page of scripture that went with the couple of first verses and the last verse of this, and I was trying to figure out in my mind how to condense that down, that I may preach all of these verses in one sermon, and you know as well as I do that's not going to happen. Today you're going to get the introduction to the message. The message will come start two weeks from now. Next week I won't be in the pulpit. But I think it's an important message because as I was studying the scripture, I don't know why I haven't seen it before as we stepped into this fourth chapter, but Paul started off talking about the walk that we should have, and then he moved into how that walk will affect the church and how the church will affect the world and how God sent into place those preachers, teachers, apostles, prophets to raise up the body, to edify the body, that the body may do what it is supposed to do, and that's affect the world for Jesus Christ. And and he moved through all of that, and he said at the end of it that we should be coming, be becoming more mature in our walk daily. And now as we hit verse 17, he's going to point not at the church in general, but at each of you as a member of the church. We're going to stop looking at the church in specific and start looking, or in church in general, and we're going to look at the church in specific as each member is a part of that church. And I find it interesting, this, this passage 
it really talks about something we need to set our minds on to focus on where Paul's mind is as he wrote this section of Scripture. Oddly enough, we're going to look at the 24th verse and talk from the 24th verse back into the Scripture so that you get a grasp of where he's heading. Because like any good novel is written, they say when you get a novel for the very first time, you read the introduction, you go and you read the ending so that the middle makes more sense. I know a lot of folks that read the ending of a novel first. I don't like to do that. It takes a surprise out. But here, let's look at the ending. So as not to be confused through, but to understand what Paul's getting at in this stretch of Scripture. In verse 24, Paul exhorts us to be one thing, a new man. He says that we should put on the new man. That's an interesting thought. That is an interesting thought to think about this new man. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to get my glorified body, and I hope God doesn't play a joke on me and make it look like this one. <laughs> some of you look at me and you laugh out of sympathy, I know. But anyhow, some of you stand before the mirror and you're really happy with the body you've got. I can't wait to get that skinny one with all the muscles and stuff on it. You know, I want to be bald-headed like Cliff. That's what I want. That is a neat look. And I've been trying to shave my head. My wife said that I'd have to go live with Cliff if I did that, and he doesn't want me. But you ever look and you just want to, be a little different. I know folks do. How do I know that? You ever pass the gym on January 1st? <laughs> Second. You ever look at the gym? You ever gone into the I know you guys do. I know there's a couple of folks that work out here, maybe. Or pa I work out. I work out working past the gym as I look in the window. I feel like I've done mine for the day. But it's packed with people on machines, and they're running. And, of course, as the year goes through, there's less and less folks. But there's this thing that we like to make this body that we're in different. Not that we would change it, but we'd like to at least keep it in pretty decent shape. We don't want the rust holes like you get in the truck when it sits too long. We don't want the tires to go flat. We try to do those things. to. to but Paul here tells us, spiritually, we should also crave to be that new man. In our churches today, I'm afraid that that craving to be a new man has, has disappeared. It, it really has. Because if I pass the spiritual workout gym on Monday morning, it, it's empty. There, there's nobody on the Bible machine. There, there's nobody kneeling next to the prayer machine. There, there's nobody listening to the worship music. You see, we'll go, we'll go sweat and we'll toil on the machines to make this physical body look better when the physical body is going to go in the ground. The only difference between the person who's working out and myself who can't even spell gym is that they're just going to have a nicer, leaner, more fit, dead body than, than mine. But they're both going to be dead. They're both going back to where they came. But you know, there's a part of us that, that never dies. There really is. Sadly, we'll work on that physical body Every day, an hour a day, two hours a day, we'll watch what we eat. We'll make smoothies and machines. We'll eat food bars instead of biscuits. We'll eat food. At the end of the day, it makes no difference at all with our physical bodies. Our, our physical bodies will remain dead in the ground. Yet when it comes to our spiritual bodies, the new man of our, our spiritual body, we let it take care of itself. Paul says we're to put on a
this, Johnny. Our, our new man should be worked on just, just like our body, physical body. And Paul exhorts us, he says, when we are forgiven of sins and are made new in Christ, we are this new creation. At the cross, there was a transformation that took place. At the cross, the old sinful man that walked up to that cross is laid to rest. And the new justified man is risen to life. Yet once it's risen to life in many of our lives, we leave it to itself. Yet Paul says, there's this new man that we need to be just as concerned about as we do this physical body, if not more so. Because the physical body one day will fail you, the spiritual body will be with you for all of eternity. You see, salvation is an act of total transformation. Total transformation. The old you is gone and the new you shows up. How do I know that? Romans 6. Romans chapter 6. Paul gives one of the greatest and most concise pictures of what happens at the cross. Starting in verse 1, we'll read down through 14 and I'll make sparse comments as we go along. But it says this in verse 1 of Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? So he starts off with a question. What are we to say? He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's he talking about? He's saying if we're saved by grace, therefore the more we sin, the more grace shows up. That's what some folks say. They say if in fact God has saved us by his grace, the more I sin, the more he graces. He says, so shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Look at his answer. Certainly not. It's the duh of the day. It's the forehead slap. No, he's saying. How, sh how shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? Let that rattle around between your ears for a minute. He said that you, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've died to sin. Then he asked the question that we all should ask. Why are we still living in it? If we does the dead body that's buried across the street is it up walking around in life again? No, that body's dead. That body died. It's still there. So if our sinful body died, why are we still living in sin? I love the picture he paints in verse three. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? In other words, if you came up to the cross and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you went in that water, it wasn't to wash your outer body clean. It was to symbolize the fact that you were buried into death with Jesus Christ and you rose again a new man. New man. New creature. New creation. He says, verse 4, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed 
set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you are under the grace. That would have been a great place for an amen. That would have been a fabulous place for an amen. You know why you didn't say amen? You're still living under the law. There's no other way around it. If you didn't just come out of your seat screaming hallelujah to an almighty God, it's because you don't understand grace. You see, Paul just laid out for you the fact that when you walked up to the cross of Jesus Christ and his blood washed over your life and made you a new creation, this sin that you find yourself in is no longer in control of you. If it's in control of you, it's because you let it. Because what lives in you is Jesus Christ who died once and for all that sin would be done away with forever. You realize when this place becomes new and glorious again, when the new heaven comes, Christ doesn't die for that again. He's already died that the new heaven is going to come. It's already been done. Our problem is we don't believe it. We don't believe it because we don't act like that new creation that Christ has made us. You see, he said there in verses 3 and 4, we were baptized into death and we were raised to walk in a newness of life. My question to you is this. Is your walk new? And he's not talking about new one time. He's talking about new every day. Every day that you rise, you should have exercised within your Holy Spirit-led spirit the muscles that make your daily walk new. To sit and expect it to fall on you would be like saying, I'm going to go to the gym and take my box of Twinkies and I'm going to lose 10 pounds when I leave and have a six-pack. It doesn't happen to your physical body. It is not going to happen to your spiritual body. To think that you're just going to sit there and, and it's just going to somehow get into your brain and that new creation is going to come alive and you're going to walk the new walk without spending any time understanding what God said is just as foolish as taking those box of Twinkies to the gym. It's just as foolish as saying, I'm going to drink all the sweet tea I want, all the, the sweet sodas I want. I'm going to eat candy instead of meat and vegetables, and I expect to lose 20 pounds this year. It's just that ignorant. Because what he said is you're dead to that old life, and you should have a new life. And he's already said that we should put on that new life in Ephesians and exercise it. He goes on in the fifth verse of chapter six of Romans, fifth through the seventh verse there, and he says, because we've been united with Jesus, because we are now linked indelibly, eternally to him because of what he did for us, 
we've been freed from that sin that has so ravaged our bodies and our life. He goes on to verse 8 through 11 and he says, Since we are in Christ, again, we are a new creation, 5 through 7, we're linked, unified to him. He says in verse 8 through 11, since, since we are in Christ, Christ died once for sin and he lives with God. So it says we should, in verse 11, reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon ourselves to be dead in sin, but alive to God. He tells us in 12 through 14, Sin does not have dominion. Why? It's not because of anything that we do. It's all because of what Christ did. The keys to hell, the keys to death are taken. It's like we read, death, where is your sting? There is no sting in death. Christ took that sting. There is no sting in sin because sin no longer has dominion over our bodies. We are a new creation. But how can we live like it if sin is still a problem? <laughs> Wouldn't you say that sin was still a problem today? I don't know about you. If it's not a problem in your life, I want your recipe for living. I dare say, since I've been preaching, all of us have sinned in one way or another just since we've been sitting here. Some of you are trying to figure out where I'm headed and you don't agree with me and you sin because you said the pastor's crazy and the word doesn't say what it says. If you're here Wednesday night, you definitely probably would say that. I've had several people go and talk to me about Wednesday night already this morning. But we sin. It, we, we can't help the fact that we're in this world and we're in a body that likes to sin, and so there is this sin. So, so then what do we do with that? We have to change our thinking so that what happens in our body changes. You change the inner workings, the thought process of your body, the outward things of your body will follow suit. What do I mean? If you think about the sin in your life, most sin happens in your life when a thought comes in your head. A thought that if it were stopped right then and there, you would never sin. What do I mean? Look at the advertisements today. Did you really think it would take sex to sell toothpaste? Doesn't that, a girl in a bikini makes me want to brush my teeth, but doesn't, I mean, look, the world is smart enough to realize if I can get you to think just one second my way, I've got you. The devil does the exact same thing to us spiritually. You're watching something, you're reading something, and one little thought crosses your mind. And before you know it, you've taken the whole rabbit trail of that thought until it comes out in the flesh of our bodies in sin to a holy God. If we can grasp, if we can change our thinking, if we can put a capsule on top of that before it ever moves to the point of being sin in our life, we too have conquered sin through the Holy Spirit. I just find it so interesting that he talks about this reckoning that we're dead, this thinking, this understanding that we're dead to sin and alive to God. See, we need to change our entire thought process to realize that we are a new creation. Guess what didn't happen when you went to the cross? You didn't show up with a body that was wrecked and get a remodel. 
You didn't show up and have your body fixed, your, your sin problem just kind of, your life put back together. You were not remodeled at the cross. You also didn't walk up to the cross with a life full of sin and say, oh, that Jesus looks good. I'll add him to my life. You, you walked up to the cross a wretched sinner deserving a place called hell. And because of what Christ did upon the cross, that person, that body, that life that deserved hell was put to death and you were handed a new creation. It reminds me of Genesis 1.1 when God said, let there be light and there was light. When he said, let there be earth here and there was earth. When he said, let there be water in this place and there was water. When he said, let the stars shine, let the moon show, let the sun come up, let there be life on the earth. You know what he did? He created. When he created this globe, it was the same way that he created you when you came to the cross and Jesus Christ became your Savior. You became a new creation. As if God said, let's start fresh and new. Nothing was added. You didn't have wallpaper put over the bad walls of your life. You didn't just have a couple of things stuck in place to make your life look good. Your life was gone. And out came a new one. We were completely new. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 5 2 Corinthians 5 says this in verse 17. Therefore, with all the understanding about what it means to be reconciled with God that he went through in, in chapter 5, he's already talked about the assurance of our resurrection. He's talked about the judgment seat of Christ. He's talked about being reconciled with God. He says, therefore, in verse 17, with all that understanding, if anyone is in Christ, what did he say in Romans chapter 6 that we were? We were in Christ. He says, so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you are, in fact, in Christ, you are a new creation. There's no way around it. The old things that you enjoyed, the old things of life, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the desires of the body, all those things that, that you made your identity in, all those things that you said, this is me because this is what I do, all those things, gone. And it says all things have become new. Instead of lusting after the flesh, you seek after Christ. Instead of having the pride of life, you humble yourself before the Lord. Instead of desiring the body, you desire to grow in the knowledge of the Son of God like we heard about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 last week. See, when you're a new creation, things are different. When you just add Christ into your life, your old life never changes. You just try to work anew. Life through Christ. Thank God that my old ways are gone. Thank God I'm a new creation because the new creation now is led and guided by the Holy Spirit that was promised to me when Christ left this earth. This new creation now is controlled by a loving God. And so when that sin comes my way, I don't fight sin by myself. I fight sin in the power of the one who raised my Lord from the grave. You see, he tells us that, that we're this new creation. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, this same Paul and the guys that were writing there 
Paul wrote most of the New Testament, this same Paul that we read about in, in Romans that said we're in Christ, the same one that, that wrote there in 2 Corinthians and said, man, we have whipped through Christ, we've whipped sin in verse 20 of chapter 2 of Galatians. He says this, because I know you're thinking to yourself, how does all this work? He says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. When you walked up to the cross of Jesus Christ, you were crucified. But he goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. <laughs> And gave himself for me. See, Paul, when he writes this, when he thinks, when his mind is set on what he is in Christ, he realizes he's a new creation. He's a new creation because the Son of God who loved him gave himself for him. And he's now at the full direction of that Lord and Savior. That's why in the Bible, most times when it talks about Jesus as Savior, it mentions that he is also Lord. Those two things can never be separated or he is not Savior at all. He is either Savior and Lord or he is just another figure that you can put on the shelf next to your other gods because he either has full control or he has no control. And Paul here says that I, I live because of Christ. But you may be saying to yourself, Pastor, I agree. Because I said to myself, I agree with that statement, but there's a thought in my mind, if that is true... Why do I find myself sinning? Have you ever stopped and thought, if all of this is true, it seems so simple, then why the sin? Why is it still present? Since we're looking at Paul, Romans 7, verse 15, Paul addresses that in his own life. This is what I love about Paul. He says in verse 15 of chapter 7, For what I am doing... <laughs> I do not understand. You ever had that thought in your Christian life? Have you ever come to the service and you left so motivated to live a Christ-like life that you just thought, I finally have the grasp of this, and before the day's over, sin has shown its ugly face? Paul apparently had the same problem. For he says, for what I am doing, <laughs> I don't understand. For what I do, that I do not, or for what I will to do, I do not practice. He says, that, that which I want to do, I don't practice. But what I hate is what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in the flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. You see what Paul says? He starts off in verse 15 and says, I don't understand. Paul wrestled with this whole idea of sin in his life. In verse 16, Paul says his new nature desires to do good. That his new nature, this new creation desires to do good. But then in 17 and 18, he says, but the sin that is in this flesh 
desires to do that, which is not good. Fortunately, he moves on in verse 19. He says, even though he desires to do good because of his new nature, he finds that he himself is doing that which is evil because of the sinful flesh. Paul says that it is not the new creation that is doing the evil. It is the sin that dwells within that body that that new creation is housed in when he says it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, our identity is in the new creation, not in the sin that happens in our life. See, when your identity becomes that sin, when you think you're sinful and useless to God, instead of being a new creation in God, you sooner or later have no desire to come to God and fall on your face for those sins that show up in your life. If you understand that you are a new creation in Christ, every time sin shows up in your life, you can't wait to fall at the feet of a precious, gracious God and ask for forgiveness so that that new creation is not hindered by the sin of the flesh. And Paul says that it is that flesh that is so sinning, not that new creature, that new creation. The bad part is so many Christians, I think, look at their lives and think there must be two natures. There's an old nature and there's a new nature all living within this one body. And it's these two natures that are at war and that's why I have the trouble. And unfortunately, many times from the pulpits of our church, that is what is preached. That there are two natures that are warring against each other and the nature that, that follows God should do away, should defeat that nature that follows Satan. And if, if Satan's nature is in you and winning, then you must not be saved. But if God's nature is winning, you are saved. Yet, unfortunately, you can't find any of that in the Bible. That's the bad part with that. We, we like to think that there's a scale, there's a balance. You put this on this side and this on this side, the, the side that weighs the most wins. The problem is that's not in the Bible. It's, it's not there. Because to say that there is this old nature along with the new nature would say you're not a new creation. You're two halves of a creation, an old and a new put together. It's not what he said. He said you're new. You're completely new. If you remember in Romans 6, 14 that we read just a few minutes ago, it said that sin does not have dominion over you. You're no longer under the law. You're under grace. In that same book of Romans chapter 13, he tells us, this in 11 through 14 of chapter 13, he says this, he says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in reverie and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. You see, he starts off saying knowing the time. That is chronologically not time. It is age time. In other words, it's not saying that the clock is ticking. It is saying the age of the new time is upon us. Know the age is what Paul is saying. And what is the age? The age, it says there, is to awake out of sleep. That is not talking about awaking out of spiritual death, sleep, because he's talking to those who are already saved. Because he says it is nearer than when we first believe. So these have already believed. But he's saying awake out of sleep. What is that sleep? He's talking about the sleep 
of spiritual apathy. The sleep of sitting in the pew and doing nothing. The sleep of letting somebody else tell you what the Bible says. The sleep of bringing your concerns to someone to pray for you because you're too lazy to do it for yourself. The sleep of being a lazy Christian. He's saying we need to wake up for that. We meet... Being content with where we are in Christ, not seeking to grow in maturity, not desiring to be more like Christ, happy that heaven's our eternal home, and, and that's all that we care about, yet Paul is making it clear that that's not good enough because he says that you should wake up from that sleep because salvation is near. I thought once you're saved, you're always saved. Once you're saved, the salvation process starts at the cross. Salvation here is not talking about justification. Justification is what happens when Jesus Christ becomes your Savior and Lord. You're justified in the sight of God. Paul is speaking about the culmination of what started when we were justified, and it's speaking here about glorification, which is the ending of your salvation. Glorification happens when Christ calls us home and we stand in the presence of the glorious one, God. He's saying that you better wake up because the glorification of your salvation is really close. Does it feel like that to you today in the world we live in? I look around this world and it wouldn't surprise me to hear the horn sound at any time for the trumpet to start blowing and the skies to part because I don't know if anything else has got to be done that God doesn't just finally throw his hands up and say, I'm taking my people home. Let the ones that don't love me fend for themselves. And he's saying it could happen any time. And he says, because of that, because of that, the night is spent, the day is at hand. Cast off that darkness. Cast off those things that hold you back. Cast off those things of the old world and hold firm. Let us put on the armor of the light of Jesus Christ in our life. Let our life look like Jesus, not like the world. See the problem in our churches today is not trying to get the world to live like the church. That's not our problem. Our problem today is trying to get the church not to live like the world. See, the problem isn't trying to get them to believe us. The problem is we look just like them. So why change? You see, people will flock to the truth. I just ask you this. Do, do they see the truth? Are they seeing it because you're a new creation? See, it's interesting there in Ephesians, and we'll wrap up with this. He says there in that first part, we talked about the new creation at the end, the very beginning of 17, he says that we're to no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. I find it interesting that Ephesians 4, chapter 1, or chapter 4, verse 1, when he started this whole chapter, he said that we are to walk worthy of our calling. He's now tying that worthy call into the new man. How do we walk worthy? In lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, forbearing love, which creates unity in the church. We are to walk worthy so that the church is unified. And the unification of the church affects the world because when the world sees the unification around Christ in the church, they realize they have sinned and there is salvation. And to get right to the heart of the matter, we are to be unified not only by the preaching of the word, by our fellowship, by the gifts, the talents, by each piece and part placed together so that the body of Christ is glorified 
in the world. It is raised up. It is set apart. It is sanctified. It is different. So the world is affected by the effect of the world on our life, by the word on our life. I love the way John MacArthur put it, and I'll close with this statement. John MacArthur said, Since God has created a marvelous new entity in the world called the church, and because of the unique creation with its unique character of humility, its unique empowerment with spiritual gifts, its unique unity as the body of Christ, and its need to be built in love, here is how every believer should live as the member of that church. You know what that statement was about? Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 24. John MacArthur said, this is a picture. Two weeks from now, we'll unfold what that picture is. Today, I ask you this question. Are you a new creation? Are you a new creation? For some, you may say, Pastor, I can remember the date and the time that I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. My question to you is, how do you know that date and time? Is it in relation to something that you did in walking an aisle? Is it a relation to an emotion in your heart? Is it a relation because you know the day that you were baptized? Is it a relation to something that's all about you? Or is it a relation to something that was all about Christ? I was talking with someone this morning. One of the difficult things I see because of where our churches have gone over the years is the church has made it very easy for a person to sit in the church and be lost and go into hell. We've, we've made it extremely easy. How have we done that? We've said, just come down here. The pastor will tell you how to be saved. Just bring your swim trunks. We're going to baptize this week because it says we're supposed to baptize. Come, come to Sunday school. Be, be at church. Everything will be good. That's never the way church was designed. Church was never designed for you to walk an aisle and shake a pastor's hand to be saved. Church was so designed that when the truth of the word was spoken from the pulpit, that your heart was so stirred that you just got saved. You don't need me standing at the front to explain to you to be how to be saved. The word tells you how to be saved. There's only one way. You must recognize by the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart that you are lost and going to a place called hell. And that all the church attendance, all the reading of the Bible, all the singing in the choir, all the preaching from the pulpit, all the things that you've ever done in your life religiously are not going to change that fact. It's not going to change one iota the length of time that you're going to spend in hell because you've been at church every Sunday since you were born. It's not going to change it. The only thing that's going to change the fact that you're headed to a place called hell is because you run face first into a person called Jesus Christ. And you understand that your sin is an affront, is a sin, is a blasphemy to a holy God. And you realize that that sin in your life is sending you to a place called hell. And you don't want to spend eternity in hell. Therefore, you want to spend eternity in heaven. That's your only other choice. There is no in-between. And the Word says there is only one way to spend eternity in a place called heaven. And His name is Jesus. You must accept what Jesus did on the cross as full payment for your sins. The walking of an aisle, the dunking in a pool, the singing of the hymns, the listening to the word are not included in that. It's what Jesus Christ did. You have to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you placed all of your wretched sin on the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
and that the blood that poured from his body washed your sin as white as snow. You can walk a thousand aisles and be dunked a thousand times if you never come to that realization your destiny is a place called hell. You are not a new creation. You are an old creation that will burn for eternity in a place called hell. The new creation is the one who recognizes Jesus is the only way to a place called heaven and come humbly and fall at his feet and ask for that forgiveness. Fortunately, that's not all there is. See, Jesus was placed in a tomb and rose three days later. The placement of the tomb proved that what he did on that cross was sufficient to pay for our sins. Just what he did on the cross, not anything added to it by us. He rose from that tomb three days later, just as he said he would, so that we would have life eternal in a place called heaven, no longer being held in bondage to something called sin. We are now set free from sin through the life of a living Savior that walked out of a tomb after being dead for three days. So I ask you, are you a new creation? You know what I know is happening right now. Right now, within the sound of my voice, and this wasn't planned, so bear with me. What is happening within the sound of my voice right now is reasoning in your head. It's called mental ping pong. You're trying to decide, do I believe what he said enough to embarrass myself enough to get up and fall at this altar and ask for forgiveness? I pray God have mercy on your soul. If you're not willing to embarrass yourself, to come and say, you know, I know I've never been saved. You're not worthy of my Savior. For he says, to deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. This morning I pray God works in your heart. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, don't leave this place. Because the time is drawing near. Maybe today you say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, Pastor, I know that I've had that experience. Does your life show it? Is there sin in your life that you think no one sees? Let me break the news to you. God sees it all. You don't have to please me. You don't have to impress me. I have sin in my life that I have to deal with. If you saw my life, you'd understand. The one you have to worry about is the one that you're going to stand before one day at a judgment seat. Even though you're saved, you will be judged. You will be judged on what you did with that which he gave you after the fact of salvation. Are you going to be proud to stand before the man with nail-pierced hands and say, you saved me, you blessed me, you gave me these things, and I throw the crowns back at your feet of the glory of all that I was able to accomplish through your power? Or are you going to stand with your head down? Because you realize, even though you've made it to heaven, you didn't do a thing in your earthly life to bring in the glory so deserves. As much as the one who's lost and heading to hell should be scared to death at this moment, I am more scared and trembling in my boots as a believer, thinking there is something in my life that I have not done that God has asked me to do. My desire is to be in repentance, a new creation. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.